you know that is the custom of this church. So we're starting into a new series, and I, I tried to think about a real catchy title for the series. Uh, I'm not good at titles for sermon series. Um, I, I try and work really hard on the content, and sometimes the sermon title comes out of the content, and, uh, but out of the content that I'm going to be preaching from, the only thing I can think of was sermons from the life of David. So we're going to be preaching from the life of David. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the title of my sermon today is The Potential of Those Who Are Willing. The Potential of Those Who Are Willing. I wonder if you would join with me for just a moment. Let's pray and prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from God today. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that is here. We thank you for the work that you're already doing and have done. We pray, God, that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to be open to hear from you, to be guided from you, God. I pray today that someone would leave here encouraged, God, that they would leave here with hope in their heart, that they would leave here prepared to fight the battles that stand before them. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, in starting this new sermon series uh, about the life of David. David was an interesting character to say anything. If you've read much of his life, it's, it's a very interesting life. Uh, David was a lion, a bear killer. He was a lion killer, a bear killer. He was a giant killer. Um, and most of us know him for his exploits. Uh, and he was taken from a field being a shepherd to being a king in a palace. But at various times throughout David's life and his journey, uh, he was both, we find, faithful to God, and then there were moments of failure where he sinned. And he was a worshiper. He wrote the majority of the Psalms that we have in our Bibles. But he was also, the Scripture says, he was too bloody of a man to build a house of worship to the Lord. When he came to the Lord, said, I want to build you a house, he, the Lord rejected him building that house. And instead, David did what he could, and he assembled the right pieces together so that his heir, Solomon, could build that temple and that tabernacle to the Lord. So, but what I, I like about the life of David is that it encapsulates a lot of what life experience is about. Now, not in the same way. You may never have slain a, a lion or a bear. Um, you may never have uh, been a shepherd and then found yourself being the king in a palace. That may not be true of you. But David's experiences were some of the highest mountains of life. There are also those deep valleys in life. And you can get a sense of that as you read through the Psalms, some of his writings, and you read through his experience, you see this story of David is not just a story about David's life, but it's a story about a man and his God. And so we're going to look closely at David's struggles and we're going to look closely at David's life and the things that made David his experiences. But we're also going to look at the struggles of David's life. We're going to look at what God did in David through those struggles. Now, sermons over the next few weeks are not sermons specifically about David and his God, but 
what I'd really like to say is these sermons are about you and your God. Because it is the same God. It may be a different character, it may be a different person by a different name, but the struggles of life are similar and God is the same God still. The God that David has is the same God that you have. A friend's grandfather, uh, I read this story about a friend's grandfather who came to America from Eastern Europe and after being processed at Ellis Island, he went into a cafeteria in lower Manhattan to get something to eat. And he sat down at an empty table and waited for someone to take his order. And of course, nobody did. It was a cafeteria. You had to go through the line. And so finally, a woman with a tray of food comes and she sits down at the table close to him. And she notices he doesn't have anything. And she asked him about it. And she informed him that, well, that's not how cafeteria works. You don't have waiters and waitresses. She said, you start at that end over there, and you go along the line, and you pick out whatever you want. And then whenever you get to the end of the line, they tell you what you owe, and you pay for it then. He was commenting to another friend. He said, I soon learned that's how everything works in America. Life's a cafeteria here. You can get anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the price. You can even get success, but you'll never get it if you wait for someone to bring it to you. And I would say that life is like that. Life has a lot of opportunities for us. It's not necessarily like a cafeteria where you go through and you pick out what you want, but there's a lot of opportunities in life if you're willing to pay the price. And so today I want to talk about willingness because it's not just paying the price. Everyone can pay a price, but who is willing? And there's such great potential in a person's will. Whatever you will to do, you can do. Whatever you determine that you want to do in your life, you can do. Sometimes those things line up with God, and sometimes those things work against God. Sometimes they lead you into your destiny, and sometimes they keep you from your destiny. But whatever you will to do, whatever you're willing to do, you can do. And so my sermon title is The Potential of Those Who Are Willing. Now, 1 Samuel 17 records the story of David and his battle with Goliath. Many of us would be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And if you attended Sunday school as a little kid, you got to hear it and how uh, David flung a stone and overcame Goliath and all of that stuff. It's a great story. But I find what happens for most of us, myself included, As I read a story like this, I put myself on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm not David. I wouldn't be like David. I wouldn't respond how David had responded. Or we look at it and say that there's potential, but probably not with me. Well, I want you to go against your grain. And I want you to think about the potential that David had. We look at David and we think of this story as just being this epic thing moving toward a destiny that David inevitably has because God has set it in motion. But that's not at all how stories unfold, not for the person in the story, maybe for the person reading the story, but not the person who is looking from above and far removed. That's not how it unfolds. 
Goliath was a giant, and all the study that I've seen shows that he was somewhere a little over nine feet tall. Nine feet, nine inches, one author said. It's important to know what Goliath represents in the story. Goliath is the enemy. Goliath is a bold enemy because he would go out and he would parade in front of the entire army of the Israelites with his army on the opposite mountain, and he would call for them to come out and fight him. And this was a scary thing, a scary enemy. This was not someone that was to be trifled with. This was a scary, scary thing. 1 Samuel 17, 11 says, When Saul and all Israel, when Saul and all of Israel, can I get the scripture up, please? 1 Samuel 17, 11, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The entire army was afraid. Fear ran through the entire army. So this enemy, Goliath representing the enemy, it was an intense moment. It was a fearful thing. It was something to be afraid of. This was not like David just showed up on the battle lines and just kind of noticed there was a guy out there calling for a battle. This was something he became very aware of when he arrived. But Goliath also represents something else in Scripture. Goliath represents the undefeated enemy. The undefeated enemy. You see, generations before, Joshua had come into what is called Canaan land, came into the promised land, and he defeated all of the enemies of Israel there. And even Scripture says he slew all of the giants. They referred to them as the Anakim. If you're ever reading scripture and you see the word Anakim there, it's reference to all the giants. And so he comes in, he slays all of the giants, and as Joshua conquered the land, he killed all of these giants off. Joshua 11 records that he was successful in wiping out all the giants that occupied the land, but there were certain giants that he did not kill. They were the ones from the neighboring lands. Joshua eleven twenty two says none of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Now Gath is the place where Goliath came from. He was Goliath of Gath. And so it was, he represents an undefeated enemy. A battle that could have been that was never fought. A giant that could have been slayed but was never never killed. He represents that enemy that you don't fight today and continues to be there tomorrow. You see, that's really what it is. In life, I found the enemies and the battles that I won't fight today, they're going to be there tomorrow. The battle that you resist having now is one day going to turn into a war with the enemy standing on the opposite mountain and teasing you to come out and fight because they feel so strong because you didn't attack them when they were weak. And it's also a cautionary tale. Don't leave the giant that is in your life to fight on another day. Because on another day, he's going to be stronger. On another day, he's going to be ready for the battle. 
Don't leave the giant that's in your family for another generation to fight. Kill what needs to be killed now and settle the dispute forever. For 40 days, Goliath walked onto the battlefield and he called for a challenger. 40 days. 1 Samuel 17, 16, Philistines drew near and he presented himself 40 days morning and evening. Goliath, Goliath is the enemy. He had no idea who he was challenging. Neither did the Israelites. You see, they were God's chosen. They were God's anointed people. And Goliath, the enemy, is standing there and he's trying to goad them into a war saying, if you leave here, you'll leave here slaves when we defeat you. But what he didn't understand is he didn't understand that they were God's chosen people. They were anointed. They had a specific thing on their side that the Philistines did not have. They had God with them. And the sad thing is the Israelites themselves didn't realize that God was with them. They could have went out and won that war. David did not have to come. It's part of David's story. But I'm telling you, God had them chosen. He had them anointed. And God used this in David's life. But I just don't wholeheartedly believe that David had to be the one to step forward. You see, the Israelites were convinced by the enemy. The enemy they could see. But they would leave as slaves. Now, if faith is believing... And faith means to be persuaded. And faith means to be convinced of something. The Israelites were persuaded and they were convinced, but they were persuaded by the wrong thing. They were persuaded by what they could see. That's why Paul warned the Corinthian believers against believing only what they could see. They looked around them and they saw people dying. And instead of embracing a message of a resurrection, they said there must be no resurrection. So Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. He said, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we use that scripture to talk about you know having faith and living life according to faith but if you put it into the context what he's saying is your eyes will deceive you you have to believe beyond what your eyes see if just a single person in the army of israel had been convinced that god would fight their battles they would have went out to meet goliath but instead they were persuaded by what they saw What in your life is persuading you that if it were not there, you say, I would do this differently. I would make a different decision. But because this is there, you're persuaded by what you're seeing, not by what God is guiding you to. You see, faith is more than just making a declaration. Faith is taking action. And here's the thing about battles. You know the strength of your faith by the intensity of your battle and by the size of your enemy. You know the strength of your faith by the intensity of your battle and by the size of the enemy. This battle was getting ready to happen. It wasn't set up and calculated in David's life. If you consider what David was doing at the time, David's life was caught between serving Saul and serving his father. 
in chapter 16, if you go and read it, uh, David is brought. He's been anointed to be the next king. Saul doesn't know that, but all of his family knows it. He's going to be the next king. And Saul is, uh, the spirit of the Lord has left Saul, and Saul is being uh, tormented by a spirit, a depressing spirit that God, a distressing spirit is what Scripture says, that God has sent to him. And so his servants say, well, we, we know a young lad that he's a shepherd, but he's also skilled, a skilled musician. And so in chapter 16, it says that he calls for David. David goes and he plays for him and relieves the, the stress, the distressing spirit leaves Saul. And so they grow closer. And David actually becomes an armor bearer for Saul. He's serving in Saul's court as an armor bearer. And then whenever he would have time, he would leave there and he would go home all the way to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, he would serve his father by tending the sheep. And so he was going back and forth and going back and forth in serving, serving his father, serving Saul. Saul has no idea that David is going to become king. So when the war started, David, being an armor bearer, not being a soldier, he is sent home to work with his father's land. And the three other brothers are brought up to go to war. And so the three brothers at war, David is there tending sheep, doing whatever his father asked him to do. And it's in the middle of this that his father says, David, I want you to take these che this cheese, I want you to take this bread, I want you to take these grains and I want you to go to the battle. I want you to check on your brothers and bring these gifts to them. And then, whenever you come home, I want to know the news. So it's in the middle of very ordinary, everyday life that David finds his opportunity to step into destiny. Your battles and the things that you're going to fight they're going to come on everyday kind of days. David's life has been very, very normal up until this point. But it's at this one opportunity that David recognizes, here's a battle that no one else is willing to fight, and I'm willing to go down and fight this giant. It's in the everyday ordinary. We often think that we like to read these stories where everything's kind of set up and organized and you know, you can see the story laying out. Well, for the character in the story, it doesn't go like that. David was just doing an ordinary task. As a matter of fact, David was doing service. He was serving his father. Chapter 17, verse 14 through 18, verse 17 says, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. What I want you to understand is David's path to destiny was only in serving. If he hadn't been willing to serve, he wouldn't have found himself at the battlefront. If his dad would have come to him and said, Hey David, take these cheeses, take this bread, and go and check on your brothers. And he said, No, nah, you know, they're fine. I've got work to do here. I've got sheep to tend to. He could have ignored the request of his father. He could have said, you know what, Dad? I'm now an armor bearer and Saul's king. I'm going to go, but I'm not going carrying cheese and bread. I'm going because I'm an armor bearer. He could have been proud 
about it. But instead, the path for David stepping in his destiny came through serving. The path to you fulfilling your destiny in God will always come through serving. In serving his father, David found his destiny. In serving his brothers, David found his destiny. In serving the king, David finds his destiny. David hears the challenge of the giant when he's serving. But if David had been unwilling to serve, he would not be where God had intended for him to be. And for 40 days, David, or for 40 days, Goliath keeps making a call for these Israelites to come out and fight him. You know what the difference between the, 40, the first day and the 41st day was? David. And it's not because David is some awesome guy. He's not a guy who fights battles. He's not a guy who's skilled in war. The only thing David had, really, look at it. The only thing David had was the fact that he had God and a relationship with God and that he had willingness, a willingness. Because in verse 32, David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, he's referring to himself, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. He's saying, I'm willing to go fight him. If no one else is going to go, I'm willing to go. But he doesn't have the skills. He doesn't have the talent. All he has is he has God and a relationship with that God. And a belief that God has anointed the people of Israel. And that the enemies of God are supposed to bow down before those people and their God. That's what he believes. Now, this is important to us because what I want you to understand is there's a lot of people that have a relationship with God just like that. There's a lot of people who know their God intimately, but there's one portion of the scenario that they lack. Willingness. Willingness. I guarantee you there were other people in Israel. You cannot convince me that David was the only one with a relationship with God in Israel. There were other people who had a relationship with God. There were other people who were serving God. But they just looked at the enemy and they cowered in fear and said, we're not able. But uh, David, he didn't say, I'm able. He said, I'm willing. He said, I will go fight. He didn't say, I'm going to win. He didn't guarantee anything. He said, God will do what God's going to do. God will make a way. And he was willing. You know how I know that David wasn't 100% certain? We all think he was. We think David just knew. Exactly. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to launch a rocket, this giant, and this giant's going to fall. Right? That's what we think. David was, he had to be 100% convinced. No, he wasn't. You know why? He picked up five stones. Why? If only one stone was going to get the job done, why do you need five? Because David knew there is a God. God is able. God has anointed and chosen his people. And I know if I'm willing to go down there, God will go with me. But he also wasn't 100% certain God would do what he did, which was use one stone to drop one giant. And that's why he picked up five. And that's the way life is. 
That's the way my own faith is. There are times when God is directing me to do something, and I look and I say, there's the giant. I know I've got to go out and meet him. And God's saying, I'm with you. You're chosen. You're anointed. I'm on your side. And I go, and in my faith, I say, all right, let me get a stone. Let me get four more stones. I might need ten stones. And if God stirs me long enough, I'll take action. I want to challenge someone today. And I want you to understand the willingness, the potential that is in your willingness. doesn't mean you have to have it all worked out. doesn't mean you have to know that one stone coming out of your sling is going to fell the giant. All it means is that you're willing to go and fight, and whatever God allows to happen is going to happen. See, God could have used Saul. God could have used the lowliest of the soldiers that were standing there that day to defeat Goliath. It's absolutely true. God could use anything, any person, any way that he wants to. But you know what God uses? God uses someone, whether it's a shepherd boy coming out of a flock field or, or a soldier with skills and talents. What God uses is God uses a willing vessel. And David was willing. Something in David said, I cannot know with certainty what the outcome will be, but I know my God, and I know my God is on my side, and my God will be victorious. He may be victorious through me, or he may be victorious in my sacrifice and the army watching that I was willing to go fight their battle, but God will be victorious, and so I'm willing to go fight. The only difference between that day and the 40 before it was someone was finally in the company that was willing to put their faith in God to the test. Willing to put their faith in God to the test. James 2, 26, James knows the real test of our faith because he says, so, without, so faith without works is also dead. James knows the real taste, test in our faith is our willingness to step on the battlefield and face the giant. And here's the thing about doing this, about stepping out in faith. You're not just going to face the giant. You're going to face people who question your motives. People who question your, what are you thinking? What are you going to do here? Because that's exactly what David faced when you say that you're willing to fight the giant, someone is going to question you. What do you think you're here for? What do you think you can do? Why are you here? 1 Samuel 17, 28 through 30, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride. I know the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Over and over, someone questioned him. What do you think you can do? What are you going to do about it? Is this pride? 
Eliab accused David of pride. He accused him. You know what that insolence of heart, that means? That means being evil in heart. I know that you're evil in heart. What's amazing is Eliab was present in chapter 16 when David is anointed king. He knows David's anointed for something greater. But he looks at David and he says, why did you come? What is your motive? He even accuses him of abandoning the sheep in the wilderness. And then when he stands before Saul, verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine, fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Saul said, you're too young. You don't have the skills. This man's a man of war. You don't have the talent. You're not able. Someone is going to doubt you, doubt your age, doubt your abilities. They're going to say you're too young, you're too old, you're not able. It's amazing how imperfect my entire life now, I'm getting the middle, I'm, I am middle-aged. I'll just admit it. I'm middle-aged. And right now in this room, some are saying, oh, you're young. And then my son's over there going, you're old. But it's amazing. You think about your own life, your entire life. You've either been too young, too old. Like, when is that perfect? There must be one day in your life where you're the right age for something. Just one day. It's got to be just one day. Because I've never found a single day where anyone's saying, yeah, you're the right age for that. Do that. Someone's always going to question your age. They're always going to question your abilities. They're always going to question your motives. They will never look at you and say, yeah, I was there. I saw when they were anointed. I saw when God made them to be the next king. They're never going to point that out. But here's the thing. You've got to understand, you are chosen. You are anointed. God helps his anointed. It's what caused David to write in Psalm chapter 20. He said, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Verse 6, pay attention to this verse. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. I know the Lord saves his anointed. How did he know that? Because he's faced a giant. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Notice this next verse, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. The Lord saves his anointed. Others may trust in chariots, others may trust in horses, but we're going to trust in our God. Whatever giant you may be facing in your life, whatever giant has popped up, 
And think about the giants that we faced. Think about the giants that we face in our life. Maybe you're getting your life back where it should be with God. There's a giant standing in the middle of your life and saying, you went too far away. Maybe, maybe you're having to trust God to take you through a season of struggle. And the giant's standing there, standing there and saying, your God's not going to save you. You can't trust God. You need to do what you can do for you. Maybe, maybe it's the giant standing there and saying, you know, that sin that you've committed in your life, God forgives, but will he forgive you? Or maybe it's facing a life-changing and altering decision and the giant stands just outside of the gate of that decision and he says, be afraid of what's out here. You don't know what this change is going to make and bring into your life. You see, we face pressures of life and we face financial giants. David faced a physical giant. But he still had to do the same thing you and I have to do. He had to overcome the fear that the giant brought to his life. And he had to say within himself, I'm willing, I'm willing. I trust God, I have faith in God, and I'm willing to fight this giant. And so whether it's the giant of past failure that keeps resurfacing in your life, or it's overcoming the fear that you keep getting cap captured up in, wrapped up in, that keeps you from taking action, that leads you to the things that God has for your life. It's time for you to look at it with fresh eyes. God is able, God is willing. But am I willing? I know my God. I know I'm one of his people. But why have I stood on the side for so long and not taken this giant in my life down? Because it's time. It's been 41 days. And it's time for me to put a foot on the battlefield. And no, I'm not 100% certain what the outcome is going to be. I'm, I'm going to pick up five stones. But whenever the battle starts... I'm going to charge and I'm going to fling a stone and I'm going to let God be God. You see, that, that's what the battle of faith is. It's not easy, but you know your faith by the intensity of those battles and you know your faith by the size of the giant. how you know your faith you know what happens is you, you get through those giants you get through those battles and you stand on the other side and you have a personal revelation that's what you have you have a revelation of thinking I didn't realize my faith was that strong and you also say I didn't realize God would take me through that and I, I'm talking to people in here today that you face some giants. 
and your testimony is that God will remove the enemy from my life. But right now you're looking at another giant. This giant seems to be bigger than all the giants you faced before. Nine feet, nine inches. He's from Gath. Should have been defeated a long time ago. But he was ignored. He was allowed to get stronger. For 40 days, he's been calling you out to battle. And today is the day where your faith says, my God is able and I'm willing. I'm willing. If you'll stand with me. Spirit of the Lord here just a strong strong way he's talking into someone's heart he's confirming confirming what you've known all along that you need to muster the courage and the faith to step over the line of fear and go address the giant I want us to take a moment here in this service before we end where we allow God to embolden us that we would do as James said that we would have the works equivalent to our faith God I pray that you would give us boldness God, I pray that you would help us to overcome fear. God, I pray that you would bring contentment with our lives and peace. God, that we would be fulfilled with what you're already doing and what you have done in our lives and to fully trust you and be convinced, God, that you save your anointed, that you are for your people, and that even though I'm fighting the battle, even though I'm facing the giant, and even when the struggle is just tiresome and I'm worn out that you are on my side and I'm going to make it in the name of Jesus Christ Amen Amen. Church family I want to invite you to join me at the front she's going to begin to sing we're going to let the Lord talk to us for just a moment why don't you bring that battle that's looming in your life, that giant that you've yet to face, that you know has been standing out in the valley in the battlefield calling for you. Why don't you bring that giant, put it on the throne before God and say, God, today's the day I'm going to start fighting. Today's the day I'm going to meet that giant.